Hi, this is Hal Price, Senior Vice President of Sales, Marketing, and Communications for Aegis Therapies. As we know, CMS is continuing the evolution of Medicare reimbursement, shifting from volume to value with PDPM. A change from rugs, where payment is driven by minutes, to a system based on patient characteristics and outcomes associated with treatment. Aegis Therapies is committed to supporting our customers, patients, and employees through the transition to PDPM, which occurs on October 1st, 2019. To support a successful shift to this new model, we've been working diligently on all aspects of care delivery and business services to ensure that we are both ready for the changes and able to support the success of our customers. As part of this work, we've launched this podcast series, a regular resource discussing Aegis's approach to the preparation of PDPM and discussing some of the more detailed aspects of this exciting change. In this episode, I sat down with three leaders from Aegis Therapies to discuss PDPM generally. Mark Besh, Chief Clinical Officer, Bill Goulding, National Director of Outcomes and Reimbursement, and Matt Robbie, Vice President of Business Development. Hello to everybody. This is uh, the first of our Aegis podcasts on preparing for PDPM and PDGM. We have a lot of changes taking place in our industry these days, and uh, we're going to talk about several topics over a period of time that we believe will bring a lot of value to uh, to all of us within the industry. Uh, I've got three terrific guests with me today, Mark Besh, our Chief Clinical Officer, Matt Robbie, Vice President for Business Strategy, and Bill Goulding, National Director of Outcomes and Reimbursement. So, uh, first question I've got today, uh, Mark, is uh, is for you. When CMS came out with the announcement about PDPM, there were an awful lot of questions about what do you think is behind this, what's the motivation, what's driving the change, and or the changes. So, Mark, if you could uh, give some of your thoughts on that, I know the audience would appreciate hearing those. Sure, I'd be happy to, Hal. I think the number one overarching <clears throat> objective from CMS was um, is something that's really been in development for a number of years, and that is to try to move reimbursement away from being so heavily influenced and based on delivery of service, specifically therapy services, the number of therapy minutes. Um, we know that for a number of years, there has been criticism in the industry about the heavy dependence of the PPS rug-based reimbursement system on the, the number of therapy minutes delivered. Even though there are two components that determine payment under rug four, therapy and nursing, for the most part, in more than 90% of the time, the days end up being, being classified into a rehab rug group based on the number of minutes delivered. And, and that has uh, been a point of contention. We know that MedPAC, the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, has been critical. We know that the OIG has been critical. We know that CMS uh, itself has issued a number of studies that have been critical about the dependence on therapy minutes and, and the impression that the decisions around the number of therapy minutes that are delivered may not always be resident-centered and, in fact, may be motivated more 
based on financial results as opposed to patient need. And so I think that was the number one overarching uh, goal for CMS is to redesign the PPS payment system to, to get away from that um, and to and at the same time, while they were redesigning the payment methodology, to create a methodology that allows for the reimbursement to be driven much more based on the patient or the resident characteristics, those being diagnoses, the types of services that a resident may require, um, which is very different than measuring services that are actually being delivered. And so uh, in doing so, the idea uh, behind the payment reform was to be able to better account for beneficiaries and payment for services for cases that have a high degree of medical complexity, to be able to enhance the accuracy of payment for nursing services, because too often uh, that got trumped, if you will, uh, because of the, the RUGS methodology being so heavily dependent on therapy. And so even, even in the precursor um, proposal that we saw, the, the resident classification system, or RCS-1, um, that was CMS's uh, really first shot over the bow, so to speak. Uh, in terms of introducing a, a new payment model. They got a lot of comments on that, took about a year to study, review, revise, and then the uh, formal proposal for the patient-driven payment model uh, was submitted. Um, I, I think it should give us all uh, some sense, of, uh, some sense of, of motivation also from CMS in that uh, all the indications are that uh, CMS considers this to be what they call a budget neutral proposal, which means that in aggregate, CMS is anticipating spending equivalent dollars on, on PDPM-based payments as they do on RUG-based payments. That's important because foundationally, as a start point, CMS did not begin this process with an assumption that they absolutely needed to reduce expenditures for payment to SNFs for Part A Medicare patients. Rather, they proposed it as a budget neutral in aggregate. Now again, not budget neutral at the, each individual provider facility level, but fundamentally, Hal, I think that's a second really important thing to remember as we begin to learn, as we began to learn more and more uh, details about the proposal. All right, and uh, I've also heard people talk about how uh, the PDPM in this new environment, there's going to be a, a different type of relationship between nursing and rehab that's going to be encouraged. Rather than just simply working side by side together, there's going to really be a push towards true collaboration. Matt, can you talk about that a little bit and what the implications are for that? Absolutely, and great question. Um, as we look at PDPM, the relationship between the, the therapy department and uh, nursing today is largely what we would consider a partnership. We work side by side, uh, we work well together, but generally that the direct collaboration is somewhat limited. Uh, in the future world, um, there's going to be a great push to 
develop a much more cohesive communication channel, um, and discussions are going to focus around patient care and, and the delivery of care in a much more holistic approach to the patient needs. Um, specific focus on uh, what types of uh, diagnoses and comorbidities um, that the patient has uh, will be a core emphasis. Other elements we'll be talking about uh, overall care needs and collaboration uh, amongst restorative nursing uh, as well as other potential uh, avenues for care delivery which really enhance the patient outcome overall. And it's a world that we haven't really been able to operate in uh, under the current methodology uh, since we uh, derive so much of the decision making on the therapy minutes uh, and so that's going to enhance that opportunity. So in this environment, then it would seem that, that uh, the MDS becomes even more important uh, than, than it has already been uh, since, it's, uh, since it was established. Uh, Bill, can you talk about the role of the therapist uh, as you see it going forward relative to uh, the MDS? Well, you know, it's interesting how, as Mark said, our current RUGS-based reimbursement system is really driven by um, therapy minutes and uh, overhead costs. And now we're moving to a system that uh, is really uh, trying to sample a much broader picture of the resident. And so it's gonna look at the, the three therapies individually along with nursing and non-therapy ancillary services and also those overhead costs. And so you would think that therapy might play less of a role since uh, the, the, the scope of what is being monitored on the MDS is going to be a little bit broader, but it's actually just the opposite. Um, depending on which articles you read currently under the MDS, the software tool needs to look at 30 some items in order to determine what the final rug is. And again, depending on uh, which articles you read, um, I've seen a, a broad range under PDPM, these software tools are gonna have to look for anywhere from one to 200 items in order to determine how to classify the resident under um, PDPM. And so uh, it, it's clearly trying to get a much broader, uh, high definition picture, if you will, of, of the resident. So therapy not only needs to um, be contributing uh, to the extent that the patient has certain conditions or diagnoses or complexities or comorbidities, but also needs to be really clear on measuring the resident's function. And one of the ways that we've done that uh, for the last couple of years has been to contribute information on Section GG, on self-care and mobility. And that's something that, that we focused on, um, but I think uh, many therapists were unclear as to exactly why we were doing that. And now with PDPM, it becomes very clear. This is going to be the coin of the realm, the way that um, residence function uh, is gonna be measured, not just in, in SNF facilities, but in uh, across the post-acute care continuum, uh, section GG measures are being more and more implemented. And so we need to make sure that we're using section GG tool as it was intended to measure uh, a resident's function, not just at admission and discharge, um, but as perhaps we'll talk about later throughout the course of treatment in order to monitor change in function. So uh, when it comes to treatment on the rehab side in particular, I know there's been a lot of discussion around taking a look at increased usage uh, of providing therapy uh, in, in a group format or on a concurrent basis. Now, while this is something that's always been uh, 
permissible within within the uh, the, the guidelines. Uh, it's something that really has not really commanded a lot of time uh, around the country uh, in most of our locations. What are we thinking the future holds there? Do we think there's going to be an increase? Is that a good thing? Uh, what would be the rationale behind it? Uh, what are some of the considerations that people may have as they want to think about uh, group and concurrent format? Uh, Mark, could you talk about that? Sure. Um, as you as you mentioned, Hal, the the concept of of group therapy has been around for uh, a long, long time. Um, but we know that most recently, the national numbers or utilization, if you will, is uh, really points at somewhere in the neighborhood of 1% of the therapy minutes that are delivered today in uh, under Part A uh, stays for, for Medicare patients, um, a really small percentage. Um, and, and so one has to wonder, why is that? Um, if it's a concept that's not new, and uh, and indeed it's a concept for which there is significant uh, and tangible evidence to support the benefits of patients interacting with one another for a portion of their therapy services um, in a group setting, and probably the best explanation as to um, as to the low utilization of group therapy today just relates to the rules about how group therapy is dealt with from a therapy minutes perspective. And so again, this gets back to some of the criticism around the such heavy dependence on minutes of therapy delivered and how the decision about the number of therapy minutes are made, what those decisions are based on across many, many providers, is that CMS has, has tried to uh, add has not tried, but has has tried to control some of that decision making by implementing certain criteria and rules around how those minutes are dealt with from a reimbursement perspective. Well, under PDPM, because PDPM removes the measuring and the dependency on therapy minutes as such a heavy determinant of the reimbursement. The, the rules that CMS put in place around how those minutes are dealt with from a reimbursement perspective uh, are no longer necessary. And so I think many providers will feel a little more freedom to utilize the evidence that's available, to utilize past experience with patients in terms of delivering a portion of their therapy in a, in a group setting. Now, CMS does realize and uh, has long felt that the majority of any individual patient's therapy should be delivered uh, individually or one-on-one -on -one, therapist and patient. And as such, they built some, uh, some restrictions, some uh, caps, if you will, on the amount of an individual patient's uh, therapy that can be delivered in a group setting. Uh, and that cap is currently at 25% at on an individual discipline basis. So it, it, looking forward, what are we likely to see? We do think we will see a modest uptick in, uh, in group therapy because therapists do realize that there are benefits. Um, patients, when given the opportunity to participate for a portion of their therapy in a group, um, typically respond very positively. They get motivated by seeing other individuals in a similar situation that, can, that they can relate to, 
uh, some get competitive in terms of uh, see who can uh, outperform uh, another. But generally speaking, there's a social benefit, there's a motivational benefit, and there's a therapeutic benefit uh, to being able to deliver some minutes in group therapy. All right, so we uh, we will anticipate uh, there would be changes uh, in this area come going forward. Uh, and going forward uh, starts with October 1st because that is the official kickoff date for PDPM. But, Matt, um, I, I know you've got a lot of thoughts about what people can and should be doing in advance of October 1st versus simply looking at that as a day that the uh, the switch goes on. So if you could comment about some of the, the things that we can be doing uh, prior to October 1st to get ready for the change. Absolutely. And and I think um, both Bill and Mark have um, talked about these elements um, as part of what they've been discussing. And it loops back into the documentation. And then when we think about the documentation, uh, as Bill had referenced, Section GG is an element that we've been coding for some time now. Um, however, we have probably not put as much focus or emphasis on uh, the completeness of Section GG uh, as we otherwise could have. Um, and now that the uh, GG components are going to be driving uh, some of the functional scores used to determine uh, the outcomes of the patients. Um, there's a great emphasis of, of being able to target um, and look at these sections to ensure we're coding and, and accurately reflecting the patient's status uh, throughout the process. Uh, GG is one of many of the MDS portions uh, that we can begin preparing. So one of the elements we do discuss uh, between now and 10-1 um, is the opportunity for us to be evaluating our current work processes uh, as it relates to the MDS coding uh, and targeting all of the, the areas where uh, we potentially could true up or sure up um, our completeness and, and accuracy in the coding process. Also, when we think about uh, from an evaluation uh, perspective, we need to be looking at our processes, uh, understanding where the handoffs uh, between uh, therapy and nursing and restorative and other um, internal communications need to be shored up or emphasized uh, to ensure consistent and timely communication. One element we haven't talked about, uh, which is critically important under the new world, is the potential to do an IPA, an interim payment assessment. And we'll talk about that more in, in future discussions, but an IPA is supposed to be triggered when there's a change in uh, status of the patient. And that could be anything from new onset uh, diagnoses uh, all the way on to uh, in, including functional status changes. Uh, so we want to reflect all those uh, intricate elements associated with the patient uh, as part of an ongoing process discussion. Also, when we think about um, the staff, um, Going from a rug-based methodology, which is largely a conversation about how many minutes uh, of services are being performed, to a discussion about looking at uh, outcomes will probably change the frequency and uh, involvement of those in the discussions around the patient, including uh, therapists in uh, morning stand-ups or daily discussions associated with Medicare uh, patients, will probably add a lot of value uh, to the broader group so that we can have uh, a much more holistic view as to what needs to occur and when it needs to occur in the patient's care. And then lastly, I think as we think about the, the upcoming change on 10-1, system readiness. Um, so we're discussing people, process, and now systems. Uh, our core systems are really going to have to uh, look at therapy uh, as well as the, the patient care needs very differently than the, in the past. 
and why we still have to review minutes and document minutes uh, as part of the process uh, for uh, therapy. Uh, they don't drive uh, the payment. Uh, so now the question is, is when we think about the system, how do we capture the primary reason for the patient stay, which is a critical cog in the ultimate decision-making process about the clinical categories for use for reimbursement under PDPM. So these elements are all things that we can be preparing for and having conversations with on our software uh, vendors' um, discussions uh, and thinking about when that needs to be ready. Ultimately, people uh, viewed this as probably a light switch event. 10-1, uh, we go live, everything happens. If we think about the potential patient that can cross over into this environment, the patient can come into our facilities early in the summer and if we don't properly code them in the summer and they're a, a potential case that has a long stay, whatever we document in June, July, August, September, et cetera, could be still part of the, the patient chart and may not be the correct information utilized under the PDPM processes and methodologies. Uh, so we need to make sure that we're looking at it from that perspective and getting well ahead of the system releases uh, and emphasizing that. And I know, Bill, you've got some specific thoughts around uh, some of the other things clinically we could prepare for. Do you want to add, add to that? Sure. I, well, I definitely want to echo what you said that, you know, coding, coding, coding. I hope that's what, what people really hear as far as preparation. Um, how do we become better at capturing uh, that, that high definition picture of the resident? And so, sure, from a therapy standpoint, that, that does mean we need to make sure that we're doing justice to Section GG, that nursing does the same. So this is a collaborative decision. But even those who aren't thinking of themselves as coders, who might contribute to that discussion, um, extenders, uh, um, uh, social services people, wellness individuals, need to become familiar with some of the basic language or the concepts behind Section GG. For instance, getting used to thinking, um, am I doing more than half or less than half of this activity or this uh, resident, whether it's a self-care activity or a mobility activity? That will contribute to that collaborative decision and determine what gets coded uh, down the road. And then I would also say if, if, if coding is going to be uh, so important uh, under PDPM, and we know that it will, uh, we need to capture these conditions and diagnoses, that physicians are going to be crucial. Um, they're the ones su supplying that initial ammunition, if you will, from a coding standpoint. And so we need from object uh, physicians to get objective, um, accurate coding upon transfer of the residents into the long-term care facilities, and then to be responsive and understanding of requests for additions to uh, further clarify residents' conditions so that facilities can really take credit for the types of uh, complex residents that they're treating. Yeah, that's a great point. Right. Um, and, and when you think about the coding, um, um, Bill, one, one additional comment that I want to add to that um, is when we think about the coding, the primary reason for the stiff stay is a new, new discussion point, right? Traditionally, we've coded the patients based on why they were in the hospital. Um, so migrating now into the primary reason for the SNF stay may pivot our thinking of, as to uh, what the primary reason is. In addition to that, when we think about the coding, um, the MDS uh, is capturing in the current methodology the, the ICD-10 codes. 
However, oftentimes we find the ICD-10 codes are either ill-defined or general classifications uh, of signs and symptoms. And in the future model, those elements are not going to be allowed for uh, providers to use and get reimbursement. Um, so the specificity of the coding uh, is going to be required to really hone in on the primary reason for the state, but also drill into the real specific reason under the ICD-10 coding map. Um, I believe, Bill, if, correct me if I got my numbers wrong, uh, roughly 75,000 ICD-10 codes and only about um, uh, half of them are going to map into the PDPM methodology. Is that right? It, yeah, I think, I think uh, somewhere around two-thirds uh, are going to map into the uh, ICD-10 um, mm -hmm. uh, or the clinical categories for PDPM, which just underlines your earlier point that uh, from, a, from a technology standpoint, from a software standpoint, um, therapy providers and long-term care providers need to understand uh, what their vendors are doing in order to prepare for this because we can't handle 75,000 codes, uh, you know, on a manual basis. This is really a job for uh, software. And I might, I might jump in here um, and, and add additionally, just to reemphasize the point you made earlier, Matt, about patients who are admitted in the summer. Uh, that this is not just a firm light switch cutover date on, on October 1st. So what gets documented on those patients admitted in July and August and September, as Matt said, um, what, what gets diagnosed, what gets entered as the key diagnosis for those patients? Uh, and then is that going to be consistent if those same patients continue to be uh, an inpatient after October 1st? You really the medical record should not reflect a change in diagnosis for the patient. And so that's why learning about this coding importance and, and changing habits and behavior uh, early on, way before the October 1st implementation date is gonna be important. Well, you have, you have all given us a lot to think about, a lot of changes coming, a lot of things we need to do uh, to get ready for this. So I want to uh, thank you all for your time today and would encourage everyone to listen to our next podcast, which will be talking about getting ready for the changes. What can we do to prepare uh, for, for, uh, for PDPM uh, as it comes up? What are some of the strategies we can be thinking about? What are some of the actions we can be taking to ensure future success? So thanks very much for listening.